0: Good morning. Hope that you all had a very blessed Thanksgiving. You know the drill, eat too much till your pants don't fit. Diet for a month and then we do it again at Christmas, right? That's the American way. And then in January, we all hog the gyms as we try to work it off and get back to our normal self. But really, in all honesty, we have so much to be thankful for. As you look around the world and you look at the, the wars and the poverty and the violence and sickness, we have so much that we can be grateful for today. If you're new here, my name is James. I am one of the pastors, and we have been going through the book of James. And in case you're worried, no, we are not a cult that I made my own book that I am <laughs> preaching out of. We are going from the book of James, which has no relation to me. And today we find ourselves starting out chapter two. We've been going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And if you were here last week, Pastor Alex finished by talking about what true religion is. And true religion is looking after orphans and widows in their distress and keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. And so what James is going to show us today is he's going to show us a very important example of how we can remain from being polluted by the world. A really important way for how we should look different from our culture. And that comes in the area of favoritism. You could call it partiality, bias, prejudice, discrimination. James is going to tell us how, as Christians, as a church we should look very different from the culture around us. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. You must not do it. And I just realized I didn't put these on. They hurt my ears, and so I put them down around my my neck, and I completely forgot. My apologies. So now you can hear me better. Um, <clears throat> so, He's going to talk about these. And we, one thing we've got to understand is when we talk about bias, partiality, favoritism, we can do it for the in-groups, maybe the ones that are up above that you want to be with. We can do it for the lower or the lesser. Maybe we show bias towards them. And just to give you an example of that, we see this way too often, it seems like, in our country. The, the rich, the powerful, the wealthy, sometimes they commit a crime that you or I would end up in jail for. But because of their connections, because of their wealth, they're able to get off and avoid prison. And in the same way, we see sometimes the poor or the marginalized, they commit a crime that again, you or I would go to jail for. But because they're considered marginalized or oppressed, they too do not end up in prison. And so we can show bias towards one, we can show bias towards the other. The Bible tells us not to do that. Leviticus 19.15 says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So it says don't judge discriminately. Don't favor the great. Don't favor the poor. Judge equally. The other thing is that we can be biased for or biased against. We can be biased for our group or we may be biased against another particular group. And then the third thing we see about this is there are many ways to be biased, to be prejudiced, to show favoritism. The example James is gonna give us here has to do with wealth. Treating rich people differently than you treat poor people. But we see this, that there are many different ways that we can show this. And perhaps the the biggest example for our country has to do in the area of race, that for hundreds of years, we literally treated people of one race very different than we treated people of another race discriminated against them, treated them awfully and terribly simply on the color of their skin. Sometimes we can be biased based on someone's politics. That we just assume that anyone that's a Democrat must not care for the unborn, they must not care for biblical morality. We look at people who are Republicans and assume you must not care for the poor, you must not care for immigrants. And we look at libertarians and say, you guys just want to smoke pot all day. (laughs) That we judge people based on that. Sometimes we do it in silly ways. You realize that? We look at British people and they got the cool accent. We just assume they're smart. You look at someone from the country with more of a rural accent and we assume they're uneducated or dumb. You know, we judge working moms because they don't care about their kids. And we judge stay-at-home moms that they just have free time all the time, right? We judge those that are overweight as they just don't have self-control and they eat too much. We judge those that are fit that you just care about your body image. We judge homeschoolers as gonna have, they're going to have weird, unsocial kids. Public schoolers that they're going to walk away from the faith. And private schoolers, you've just pulled yourself back because you got all the money and can do what you want to. We judge people. We show bias and prejudice against people based on what we see. And the word here for not showing favoritism, the word here for without partiality, literally translates with respect to face, meaning what you see. Judging a book by its cover that you see someone and you make a snap judgment based on whatever group you want to put them in, however you want to slice or dice up society, you make a snap judgment about them and you like them or you don't like them based on that. And James is telling us we cannot do that As Christians, we cannot show prejudice, bias, favoritism, partiality for or against people. And I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes by former President George W. Bush, that he was speaking at the funeral of these five police officers in Texas that had been um, ambushed and killed, and he made this comment. He said that too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. Then we look at other groups, however you want to define a group. We find the person who is the worst example and say, aha, everybody's like that. And then we look at ourselves, our best intentions, and we hold ourselves up. And James is going to tell us we cannot do that as Christians. We cannot do that as churches. We have to treat people fairly and equally. And he gives us this illustration here in verse 2. Suppose a man probably something that could have or maybe even did happen in their church back there in the first century is two guys come into the meeting place. They come into their church, and the first one is a man that has on fine clothes and a gold ring. So you can assume just by looking at him that he is fairly wealthy. And you got to remember that back then these people were mostly poor, He's talking to the people in the diaspora, means people that have been kicked out of their homeland, kicked out of Israel, had to flee because they were being persecuted for their faith. And so now they're in a new land. They're refugees. They don't have a lot of money. They're trying to figure out life, find jobs, find places to stay. And so you can imagine, and back then, the church was really good about people pooling their resources, caring for each other, that suddenly a rich guy comes in. He can help feed me, he can build a new building. He can do all this great stuff. And so they show favoritism towards him. They pay special attention to him. Here, let me show you where the coffee is. Here, come here. Have you met so-and-so? Oh, look, here's the pastor. You've got to talk. You've got to meet him. And they say, here, have the best seat. Have a good seat for you. We have this great seat because we want to welcome you. And then a couple minutes later, in walks a man in shabby clothes. Maybe he stinks a little bit. You can tell by looking at him, this guy is probably really poor. And he doesn't get the same reception. He gets told, hey, you can, you can stand over there in the corner. All right, we don't have any extra seats. You're just going to have to stand. If you want to sit, you can sit here by my feet. Literally, the word there is by my footstool. So the rich guy, you get the best seat. Poor guy, I'm not going to give you my seat. I'm not even going to give you my footstool to sit on. You're going to have to sit on the floor because I value you that little. And this, we see from the start, is a gospel issue. James says our glorious believers and our gl- glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He says as believers, as Christians, because of the gospel... You cannot treat people differently. And what he's going to do through the rest of the text is he's going to give us six reasons why, as Christians, we cannot show favoritism. But before we get there, I've got to lay the foundation that comes from Genesis chapter 1, because this is, what this is all built upon. Is Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27 tells us that all people are made in God's image. And so that means every single person in this planet, on the planet, no matter how rich, how poor, how old, how young, no matter where they were born, where they live, what their occupation, no matter who they are, they are made in God's image and therefore have intrinsic value. God loves them. God sent Jesus to die for them. They have value. And so as Christians, we should see that value and treat them accordingly. Now, the first reason that James gives is there back up in verse 4 that we just read. He says, if you do this, have you not discriminated among yourselves? They were facing discrimination in the culture. We're going to see in a few verses that the rich people were dragging them into court. They were exploiting them and taking advantage of them. They were persecuting them. Everywhere these Christians went in their culture, they were being discriminated against and treated poorly. So James says, if you do this in your church, you're discriminating among yourselves. You're doing this among your family. And there's a story told about Mahatma Gandhi, who is the famous Hindu guru, who saw in India the caste system, where the untouchables, the lowest caste, were just treated like garbage, as useless and worthless. And he started trying to find a solution. And so he started reading the Bible, and he found in the gospel, in Jesus, what he thought was the solution. Surely Christianity is the solution because Jesus talks about all people are equal. And then one day he was in South Africa, and he goes and he visits a white church, and the usher at the door says, you're not allowed in here. You have to go worship with your own people, and kicks him out. And he said, at that point I realized that maybe Christianity is not the answer because he was unfairly discriminated against because of his ethnicity. James tells us you can't discriminate among yourselves as a church. You must show love for each other. He says if you do, you've become judges with evil thoughts that based on just what you see with respect to face, based on someone's appearances, you get to decide who's worthy and who's not. You judge people based on what you can get from them, not how you can give to them or serve them. And that makes you no different from the rest of culture. Jesus talks about this in Luke 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. So he says, if you treat people different, you're no different from the culture. You're no different from the non-Christians. As the church, as Christians, you should be different in the way you treat people. And this word he uses for not showing favoritism or without partiality is not even an actual Greek word. They didn't even have a word to describe this. James made up this word to describe this concept because the culture didn't have a word to describe it because it wasn't part of their culture. And so in a culture like ours today that's very similar, that's full of hatred and bias and this group against that group and anger towards each other, James tells us as a church you should look different in the way you treat each other. Second reason is verse 5. James tells us that God does not show favoritism. He says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. So he says, God does not show favorites. God has chosen the poor in spirit in this world to be rich in faith. Jesus said the same thing, or sorry, Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 1. He elaborates a little more. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And so God chose those that we normally would not choose. If you look at his disciples, the only one who was possibly wealthy was Matthew, but he was considered a traitor by the Jewish people. He would be considered a social outcast. The rest of the disciples that Jesus chose were mostly middle class or below. They were mostly poorer people. James says God often chooses those that the world does not recognize to do the biggest things for him, the poor The marginalized. And so when you treat them differently, you are dishonoring them because God can use them the same way as he can use the rich and the powerful. God doesn't play favorites. If you look at Romans chapter 2, Paul's talking about the gospel and how people get saved. And he's talking about the Jews, God-chosen people, and the Gentiles, those of us who are not Jews. And then he says, concerning the gospel, he says, for God does not show favoritism. God does not favor one group above the other. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, he's talking about masters and slaves. The masters being those that are rich and powerful, the slaves being those that are poor and marginalized. And he says, again, there is no favoritism with him. God does not choose one to get saved and the other not to get saved. God says the gospel is for everybody. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so James tells us if you are treating people poorly just because of their poor, you are not being like God because God does not show favorites. But you can imagine the Christians back then. They wanted the rich person to give them not just the finances, but to give them the social status and standing and help them not be marginalized. And if we're not careful, we end up that same way too. You know, someone like Kanye West gets saved and everyone's like, "Woo!" Justin Bieber gets saved. Woo! If we get Taylor Swift saved, we'll have revival, right? <laughs> All over this country. And we get excited about it, thinking, well, think of what they could do with their influence and their money and their power. And you know what? God does use rich people. He used Billy Sunday, a famous baseball player. He uses people like Tony Dungy or Tim Tebow. He can, but when we assume that God can only use those people, and so those are the people that we need, the famous, powerful, rich people, We are dishonoring the poor people that God very often chooses and uses to do big things for him. Third reason is the rest of chapter six, or verse six. He says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? He's saying the feeling is not mutual. All right, this is more of a logical argument than a theological argument, but he says, listen, you guys see this rich guy come in, and you want him to be part of your church, and so you roll out the red carpet, you treat him as best you can because you want him to be part of your crowd, but in all honesty, it's the rich people who are treating you poorly. James isn't saying that all rich people are bad and treat you poorly. He's saying in the time and culture in which they lived, It's the rich who are exploiting them. Remember, they're refugees. They don't have a lot of money. They're trying to figure out life. The rich people are taking advantage of them in their situation. They're dragging them into court. They are persecuting them. And so James says it's stupid for you to just embrace the rich person, assuming that because they're rich, they're good, when in reality it tends to be the rich that are treating you the poorest. His fourth reason is in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So the royal law, we find in Leviticus 19.18. We see it in Matthew 22.39 as well. Jesus quotes it, that the royal law is, first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the royal law. Treat others the way you want to be treated yourself. We know it often as the golden rule. And so he says you need to treat people equally because the royal law commands it. If you keep that law, you are doing right. You are doing the right thing when you obey the golden rule. And so we need to look at people and say, hey, how how do I want to be treated if I'm a visitor as a church? And there's lots of people you're like me. You're probably an introvert. You don't want the whole Ali Ababwa parade coming in with people dancing to, to bring you into church. You may just want to sneak in quietly, sneak out quietly. You know what? That's okay. But what you don't want is the person that comes in and no one talks to them and people like, oh, I'm going to scoot down a row so I don't have to sit by them. That they're rejected and shunned maybe because they're different or they don't fit in. He's saying you need to treat others the way you want to be treated. When you go to someplace new, you want to be welcomed. You want to be loved. You want to be known. Treat others the same way. Well, he's going to up the pressure a little bit for us now in verse 9. He tells us that favoritism is a sin. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder you have become a lawbreaker so he doesn't mince words here right if you show partiality if you show favoritism you are sinning you're not just being unkind you're not just being weird he says it is a sin to show favoritism. And for us sometimes, we see it as quote, unquote, an acceptable sin or a white sin. It's not that bad. And we see it all too often. It seems like every week almost. You hear about a church or a ministry, an organization that has taken a strong stand for sexual Morality or a strong stand for the unborn or a strong stand to defend the poor or the immigrants. They take these strong biblical stands and you like look up to that organization and then it comes out that one of the pastors or board members or one of the people there has been engaged in abuse or immorality for years and it's been known about and it's been covered up and swept under the rug that they've been showing favoritism. Call out the sins of everybody out there. Ignore the sins among the people that we like, among our group. We see it sometimes. Maybe you saw it over Thanksgiving. The family member that takes a strong stand for biblical stuff but then spends the whole meal blasting an entire group of people with vile hatred. And James says... If you're showing favoritism, you are sinning. Don't sit up on your high horse and judge other people's sins when you have a sin of prejudice or partiality, bias or favoritism in your heart. He says if you do, you've become a judge with evil thoughts. You are not judging fairly. You are judging evil evily judging others when you don't judge yourself judging other groups when you don't judge your own group and he uses this example that he says if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder you've become a lawbreaker so if you're the person out there saying yeah I've killed a few people but I haven't cheated on my wife I'm awesome <laughs> he's saying no that's not the way it works and I, I read this and I keep saying, doesn't he have it backwards? Because in our in our mindset, murder's like the worst thing you can do. But you gotta realize, think of the person that back in the Salem witch trials finds the young lady, accuses her of being a witch, hangs her or burns her, thinks he's done God a favor. Think of the way they used to burn heretics at the stake. So if you're that person that you say, I am righteous because I stamped out heresy, I killed this witch, but I haven't cheated on my wife, I'm awesome, James says no. James says no. It doesn't matter which sin you break. You break one of them, you're a lawbreaker. And so if you stand up and say, Hey, you know what? I'm a little bit of a racist, but I haven't cheated on my wife. James says, no. If you're showing favoritism, partiality, bias, prejudice, that is a sin, and you can't sit there and judge others while you ignore what's in your own heart. Breaking even one law makes you guilty. Partiality is a serious sin And we can't be a hypocrite. So, is James telling us, hey, just don't judge any sin, just be this big ecumenical church, Unitarian Universalist, everybody, love wins in the end? That's not what James is saying. James is not saying don't judge sins. He's saying, number one, don't judge people based on non sin stuff. It's not a sin to be rich, it's not a sin to be poor, it's not a sin to be from France or to be from America or to be from Botswana. It is none of that stuff is sin. The way we often divide people up, it's not a sin. But we show prejudice, bias against people. The second thing James is saying is if you're going to call out sin, which you should, you cannot show favoritism and ignore some sins and call out others. You can't show favoritism for your people and ignore their sins, but call out the sins of others. You cannot take a strong stance on sexual immorality while you ignore the abuse in your own organization. If you are going to call out sin, which you should, you have to do it without partiality. Don't be a judge with evil thoughts. So favoritism is a sin. And I'm reminded of a story when I was in college, I'd go home over the summer and there were some people that I would hang out with, and they weren't Christians. And so I'd try, to, I'd try to share the gospel with them and invite them to church and talk to them. And this one guy told me once, he said, James, he said, you know what? I tried church for a few weeks. And he said, the pastor stood up there every week and he preached about being immoral with your girlfriend, getting drunk. Like he preached about all my sins. But he said, you know, that pastor was over 400 pounds. And he never talked about gluttony or self control. Why should I go to that church when he's such a hypocrite? And James is saying, if that's you, that you talk about how more you are and righteous you are, but you are full of prejudice and hate. James says, you're sinning. Don't think that you're getting off, that you're innocent. You are as guilty as the people that you condemn. Then the final reason, verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He says you will be judged for what you say and for what you do. So speak, be careful what you say, act, be careful what you do as those who will be judged By the law that gives freedom. Again, we have freedom in Christ. That's what he's talking about there. He says, recognize that you are going to be judged based on what you say, based on what you do. Jesus says the same thing. He says that no idle word will come out of your mouth that you won't face judgment for. One day, all of us will stand before God to give an account for what we say and what we do. And James makes an interesting statement here in verse 13, because he says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And when we think of mercy, I think of the definition that I heard growing up. Mercy is not getting the punishment that I deserve. We think of it more in terms of heaven and hell that God is merciful to us. But a real definition of mercy is this. It's kindness or goodwill toward the miserable And afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them. So it's seeing someone in need and saying, I'm going to help them out. It's seeing the poor man walk into your church and rather than saying, hey, you stand over there, saying, I'm going to help you out. That's mercy, caring for those in need. And James says, if you don't show mercy, God will not show mercy to you. And so this sounds weird, because it sounds like James is saying, because, you know, we're taught that salvation is by grace, through faith, alone, that if you just believe Jesus died for you, you get into heaven, and now James says, oh, and you have to show mercy too. And so it sounds like James is upending things, but he's not. And I'm going to disappoint you now, because I'm going to tell you, you have to come back next week for the full answer, because that's what the whole passage is about. But what I will say for this week, because next week it's one of the most controversial passages in the whole Bible, all right? He's going to talk about this and explain it, but it's also one of the most life-changing passages when you understand it. But what James is saying this week, what he's saying here as he makes this turn, is that what you do shows what you really believe. Your actions show your heart. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6 when he was talking about the Lord's Prayer. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, So again, that's a head scratcher. Wait a minute. I thought I just had to believe in Jesus. Now I got to show mercy. Now I got to forgive people. This sounds like a lot of works, a lot of stuff that I have to do. But Jesus' point is, those who have been forgiven will forgive. When you have a heart that's been changed, when you recognize all your sin that God forgave you for, when you recognize that, you will forgive. And if you can't forgive, you don't forgive, that shows that you have a heart that's not been changed. And in the same way, James is saying, if you recognize the mercy that God has shown you, that you were his enemy, you were ungodly, helpless. If there's anyone that God would be prejudiced against, it'd be you, a sinner. But God showed mercy to you. When you understand that, and you recognize that, and you embrace that, then you will show mercy, kindness, and goodwill towards others. And so James's point is if you are not showing mercy to people, if you are showing favoritism, bias, prejudice, hating entire groups of people rather than showing them mercy, that shows that your heart has not been changed and you're not a Christian. And so James finishes up here with where he started. Brothers and sisters, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Christians cannot show favoritism. And he finishes up saying, if you are not showing mercy and treating people well and treating people equally, if you are full of bias and prejudice consistently in your heart, that shows that your heart has not been changed. And judgment without mercy will be shown to you. But there's good news. Because he returns to what he talked about earlier, that this is a gospel issue. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God showed mercy to us. He showed mercy to me. He showed mercy to you. Where I deserved judgment for all the bad things that I've done, God showed me mercy. Where you deserve judgment for all the bad things you've done, God shows you mercy. And when you embrace that in your life, recognizing that you can be forgiven for your sins, recognizing that God showed you mercy when he didn't have to, that will overflow in your life to show mercy to others, to treat people equally and well. So the question then we have to wrestle with is do I show favoritism in my heart. Are there entire groups of people, again, however you want to slice and dice up society, are there entire groups of people that you just don't like? That maybe it's hard for you to love. Maybe you look down on or you judge. You know, some of them are serious. Some of them are silly. Let's be honest. Sometimes we sit here and be like, oh, he's got on shorts or His knees are showing through his jeans. He must not have any respect for God and God's house. Or we look at the person with the coat and the Bible and say, great, another King James Version fundamentalist. That's all we need at this church. And we look and we judge people. We show bias, prejudice towards them. Do you have that towards someone's age or someone with kids, people of different races, people of different economic status, Do you look down on them? You don't want to welcome them. God can change our hearts. So our task is to look into our own hearts and say, where do I have bias, prejudice? Where do I show favoritism? You know what? It's pretty impractical sometimes when someone's in need to have to stop out of your busy day to help them out. There's people that we just naturally get along with, people that, have similar interests, similar lifestyles that are like us, it's easier to get along with those than it is people who are different. Different economic status, different culture, different passions or hobbies. That's really impractical. But that's the life that God calls us to live.